Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has tons of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite listening app, and I'm sure it'll be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries once you're there. All right, what's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 172 of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for Thursday, January 2nd, 2020, 2020, the new decade, the RAR in 20s, RAR as in R-A-W-R, it's a... RAR. RAR, it's a shout back to the (laughs) early 2000s emo scene. I oh wow! I wish the girls, <laughs> I wish the ladies still dressed like scene chicks. Cause boy, let me tell you, Mike, there was nothing that uh, gave me an alfalfa sprout more than seeing those scene chicks back in the day with their teased hair and their skinny jeans and t-shirt <laughs> and all the heavy makeup. I love that look, man. I don't know. That was like our yeah. our that was like our gaudy eighties period, like that period. Yeah, that's sort of it's like a punk sort of thing. Yeah, it's like a punk version of that sunset strip hair metal eighties mm-hmm. shit. Like that was our our thing, you know. Like, and, and I don't know, man. Scene girls, I I I always thought some they of were... the pants though, the pants with all those fucking buckles and shit. Like that was a bit much. Well, that was you, more. You end up looking. Oh. You end up looking like fucking Edward Scissorhands. That was more goth <laughs> than it than yeah. scene. Scene was all yeah. about the skinny, like the skin tight, yeah, the skinny, skinny jeans. jeans. Yeah. I liked skinny jeans too. I I I wish I still had a pair because I, I don't know. I just. But anyway, uh, <laughs> raw in twenties. That's where we're at right now. Are you excited about this decade, Mike? Or are you? Well, like- it just started. I mean, uh, it, it started off a little. Uh, it kind of started off on the wrong foot, <laughs> dealing with fucking drama about a review of Hustlers of all things. Yeah, the movie about strippers. Yeah, I did a review of that on my YouTube channel, and I got like a couple comments. Uh, first off, it started off with like a mass amount of dislikes that I was just like, what the hell? Like three dislikes off the bat. And then it climbed all the way up to 34. And then uh, there was some guy who said he was a buddy of mine, but really he was just a douchebag who who said things like, how dare you like this movie? <laughs> Wait, and so, then, so you got a bunch of dislikes for liking a movie? Yes. Yes. Bunch of dislikes for liking hustlers, or daring to even talk about hustlers. But here, here's here's the, I, I ha, I'm gonna share this, folks, because this is this is hilarious. So what what I got, I got a comment from a triggered parent uh, that initially I was pissed at, but now I just laugh at it because it's just so absurd. So this triggered parent. Um, left a comment on my review of Hustlers. Her name is Michelle. And she says, A quick thought, if I may. Since I walk in on my child 
watching this review, my darling, red angry face, please take this video down. You have a filthy mouth like a lost dog. Tidy your room and leave my child alone. Your views are toxic. Oh my god, that's crazy. <laughs> I've never gotten anything like that. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, the more I look, think about it now. I mean, I removed the comment, but I screen grabbed it for, you know... Posterity. For, for posterity. Dude, you should have, like, pinned that to the top of the comments. <laughs> would have been awesome. That That's... Uh, did, did it make you feel good that, like... Uh, you know, some random little Billy uh, in wherever USA is out there watching your review, and it's an—it's enough to piss off parents. <laughs> the more I think about it, it, it is kind of a—it—it it, it is kind of an accomplishment because it's just that's a, that's the first I've ever had a, an angry parent leave a comment. Yeah, that's that. You know, anytime I start hearing, so what I did, I ultimately I okay. I, I blocked it. I I uh, put the video private for a bit. And then I made it unprivate. And then after I blocked the two people, their dislikes disappeared. <laughs> it was the craziest fucking thing. Like I, I'm looking at my dislike ratio now, and it's like normal. So yeah. I don't know what the hell happened. But uh, I also uh, age restricted the video just in case. Anytime I anytime I start hearing talk like that about like oh your filthy mouth and your blah 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 this that and the other. I, I, it literally does not phase me because I grew up. No, I grew yeah. up with that shit from going to a private school, and mm-hmm. I was surrounded by a bunch of Karens, you know, like all the time, twenty four seven. Who just, you know, these were all the future. Speak to your man. I want to speak to your managers of America at my school, and their moms were already full grown Karens. So, like, so speaking of, I want to speak to your manager people. Uh, it wasn't me. That wanted th- that he wanted to speak to. So there are male, there are uh, male Karens, folks. Um, it's not just a a female thing. Like, there are definitely male Karens out there. Oh God, the the male Karens are like the just the. And I don't subscribe to that whole like masculine male. Yeah, I don't subscribe yeah. to that bullshit. But man, you want to talk about. <laughs> The least masculine human being on the face of the earth is the male Karen. Because I, I have dealt with those too. The maybe overly effeminate dad who's like, excuse me, excuse me, can I speak to your manager? Because I was, I heard what you said. That was very inappropriate. It's like, oh my God, dude, really? Like, hey, this guy wasn't effeminate at all. He was a heavy set man who was trying to find certain kind of yarn. Oh, okay. Yeah. He wasn't effeminate at all searching for but yarn. I, but I mean, yarn, I mean, eh. I'm not gonna go there. I know. But here, I, here I, know. I here I am, like uh, subscribing <laughs> to the stereotypes. I just said that I don't subscribe. I'm such a fucking hypocrite. I'm sorry. Um, I was born in 1988. People, what do you want from me? I he grew- wasn't really carrying himself, you know, like that. Yeah, he was just looking for some yarn, and I helped him to the best of my ability because what he was asking for is like yarn that was specifically cotton and not synthetic. And we don't necessarily have a specific section just for cotton yarn. You just have to kind of look for it. Um, but apparently, I, an exchange between him and one of my managers, he didn't like. So I'm up there getting ready to help him before I leave for my shift. And, you know, I was like, who, you know, who are you talking to over the radio as a manager? You know, uh, uh, what's her name? I'm like, uh, I'm not going to say her name on air. Uh, 
Michelle. <laughs> and then uh, she... I basically had to call her to come up front to talk to the guy. And like as I'm walking out, I'm handing her my RF gun and everything, and she's pissed. <laughs> she's so... I know when she gets pissed, she doesn't say anything. Like, she just shut... She's just super silent, quiet. You could... You could t- sense it in her actions. Just grabs the RF gun angrily. <laughs> Doesn't even, you know, really, uh, you know, uh, acknowledge my presence, uh, you know, barely. She wasn't mad but, at uh, you, was she? No, she wasn't mad at me, I don't think. See, I mean, it's not my fault. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? What's funny is, like, back when I worked at CVS and someone wanted to speak to a manager... Whatever the manager ended up telling the customer, you know, like it was shit that I I would have told them. It's like I I get why they want to speak to the manager because they want to go above, you know, my yeah. underling ass. No, but he he said things like she was rude as shit. So yeah, um, yeah. But well. I, I you know I didn't really prepare her for that, but I can't really do that over the radio anyway. So. <laughs> Speaking of uh, this Karen talk, since we're on it, um, New Year's Eve, um, I DJed a party for rich yeah. people. It was at their house. It was their private residence. And there's always this feeling whenever I go to these events to DJ where all of a sudden I feel like I'm some little street urchin in some kind of weird Dickensian England, you know? It's like... I feel like I'm like, you know, can you spare sixpence, sir? Can you spare a smile? Like, please, sir, can I have some more? <laughs> yeah, like, I literally feel, which is weird, because, like, I'm not I'm not poor by any means, but mm-hmm. I'm not rich, or, like, no. like these people rich. Like, yeah. I roll up, and they, you know. High like, affluence. Oh, yeah. You know? The, you know, perfectly manicured lawn, ginormous, beautiful house, the wife's. Uh, hot. The husband looks like he deals in high finance. The 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 little kid, their little Billy over there, had uh these like nice tailored pants with this tucked in like uh, button down shirt. I'm like probably has VR. Oh yeah, he's probably got all the gadgets that he wants. And uh, I'm sitting there looking at this kid going like, this is a New Year's Eve party, and he's dressed in his Sunday best, like he's about to get his like school pitcher taken or something like i i never had clothes like that growing up and um and i try i've tried my hardest when i when i'm in these events like as a dj i try my hardest to not judge these people because Mm -hmm. just because you have money does not mean you're a bad person but man it's just weird i don't know what it is about like class it's just the kind of money that makes you feel insecure. Yeah, like it's the, it's I, yeah, the, it, it is an insecurity feeling. Yeah. Like I don't feel like I'm good enough to be around them because I don't make nearly as much as they do. Like, so I feel yeah. like they would never accept me into their fold because I'm not. It, it, and there's something to be said about like why people tend to hang around people in their own economic strata rather yeah. than uh, you know you don't see somebody who has nothing hang out with someone who has something because I feel like at some point the conversation is going to come up hey man you know bills are really tight this month if I could just borrow you know a couple hundred dollars get me on my, you know that conversation would probably eventually happen in that situation and they don't want to deal with that whatever I don't know but I also wonder sometimes if there are some instances where you know it sounds cruel but i think there might be some validity to this that some of these rich kids they hang around with hang around with middle class or poor kids 
you know, just to kind of uh, solidify that stratus. You know, stratus? that strata. Is that like strata <laughs> and status combined? <laughs> I meant to say that that status or stratus. Um, that would be really cruel. The I don't strata. know if that. I, th- I now what I do think. Now I'm just thinking about Trish Stratus, the wrestler. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> what I do think happens in those situations is, is I definitely do think that uh, kids who grow up rich do want to uh, experience the quote unquote like real authentic you know side of society and, mm-hmm. and and kind of break out of the well that ties into some of the cases we covered on this show Remember right that one guy the who hollywood to... kid who hung yeah. out with the uh street bum who uh yeah ended up uh you know i don't know what ha- what he did i don't know if he murdered him or what but the guy went missing and yeah. uh you know it, yeah so i mean i think that happens but um so anyway this is a podcast about unsolved mysteries believe folks. it or not uh, yeah the new my New Year's was completely uneventful. I just slept in, uh, watched a couple movies, and you know recorded a couple YouTube videos, and that's it. It wasn't anything. I didn't go to a party. My parents went to a fancy restaurant without me, but other than that, that's really nothing. Really, did you do that? Tri- uh, no did you do happened. that yearly thing that you always do, where as the ball's dropping, you start masturbating and you try to climax <laughs> right at, at zero? No, I don't. I, I didn't do. You that do that every I, year. <laughs> it's this thing. It's like ten. I don't do that. Nine. Oh yeah. Eight. Seven. <laughs> oh, six. Five. Four. Yeah. Three. Two. One. Oh yeah. Happy New Year, baby. Oh. Sounds like something you would do. No, that's what you told me. You did that. All right. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you didn't tell me you did it. But it's a. It's it's something that I like to think that you just sit in your room and that's you can't. <laughs> It's like you even get invited out to shit by your friends, and you're like, no, no, I I have a very special New Year's celebration that I have to do. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's how you celebrate. You dirty boy. Oh, you dirty white speaking boy. Speaking of dirty, there's some very <laughs> naughty, naughty segments we're going to be talking yes, about today. Exactly. Mike calls them forbidden, but I call them naughty, because we're not supposed <laughs> to have these segments, because they're not on Amazon Prime. They're hard. Nope. They're hard to find. We don't know why they're not on Amazon Prime, but but they're not legal. Probably legal reasons. So don't tell John Cosgrove and Terry Moyer about this podcast. Shh, naughty, <laughs> naughty. To uh, I almost want to put the clip from Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Two. Have you seen any clips from that movie? I have not. Eric Freeman? I, I, from, from last week when you first told me about the movie, I, I still have not seen it, believe it or With not. With the whole garbage day thing? <laughs> oh, wait a second. I think I have, actually. The garbage day? What is, what, yeah. What's that scene? Because I think that was... He, a- he just walks up to a guy taking his garbage out. He pulls out a gun, and he's like, Garbage day. Yes, I have him. seen that. Yeah. There's there was this old compilation on YouTube way back in the day yeah. of like the cringiest scenes from movies, uh-huh. and of course they had the one from Troll Two. Um, yeah, they what what is it? <laughs> it was like they're eating her. It was, it, the whole thing was like, oh my god, yeah, they're, they're eating, eating her. her. Then they're gonna, then eat, they're me. gonna eat me. Oh my god. And then they're going to eat me. Oh my god! 
How could you not love that though? That's incredible. Like, there's a documentary about uh, Troll Two called Best Worst Movie. That's that's pretty entertaining. Um, but yeah, Silent Night, Dead in the Light Part Two. The scenes with Eric Freeman are kind of in the same uh, category because his acting is so incompetently uh, terrible that it's entertaining. So he has another scene in a movie theater where there's this jackass talking through the movie, being an asshole. And so then he goes up and he he goes, shh, naughty. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Oh, God. So these are some naughty, naughty boy segments. Yes. Um, so the first naughty segment we're, we, we are going to be talk, talking about... <clears throat> I guess I decided to do my Porky Pig impression there. <laughs> I'm having a stroke. So, uh, the first naughty segment we're going to be talking about is the case of Julie Cross. This is from season one, and it is one of those vintage, atmospheric, moody as hell, early Unsolved mystery segments. So, 26-year-old Julie Cross grew up in San Diego County. Sadly, by the age of 10, both her parents passed away. She was then raised by her brother, a reserve police officer. In 1976, after receiving a degree in criminal justice, she became a police officer in San Diego. During her training, she met fellow recruit Cheryl Myers. The two became best friends. After working for the San Diego police for over two years, she applied to work for the Secret Service. In October of 1979, she entered the service, fulfilling a, long, fulfilling a lifelong dream. Although famous for protecting the president, the Secret Service is also in charge of investigating counterfeiting and monetary crimes, which is something I did not know. I mean, I just thought, like most people, who know nothing about the Secret Service other than what they hear about in uh, movies. <laughs> yeah, I thought they were like the... the badasses that throw you in like a black ops dungeon you know if you talk about ufos i didn't know they you know i i mean i guess it makes sense that they would also handle stuff like counterfeiting and all that but on june 1st 1980 she was transferred to the agency's uh, los angeles anti-counterfeiting squad prior to leaving to los angeles she told cheryl that she feared something bad would happen to her there early in the evening of june of june 4th she and her partner, Agent Lloyd Bowman, were investigating an apartment at Westchester where a suspected counterfeiter lived. While parked in an unmarked car near Los Angeles International Airport, they noticed a car slowly drive past them. Now, first, before I get any further into this, I want to mention the opening with Robert Stack. Because they're mentioning the airport. Because apparently, I think it was on location around where I think the murder might have happened. Or somewhere, I think it was near the, it the neighborhood. It was in the neighborhood because there, you know, was an aircraft flying overhead. So the segment opens up with Robert Sachs' narration, but you can't hear anything that he's saying in the first part of it because of jet flies overhead. Yeah, <laughs> which I think was the point, right? But I, I just, I, I just find it funny to imagine them waiting for the plane to fly overhead. At that, you know, at the right time, you know, Robert Stack having to like do like multiple takes because the plane hasn't flown overhead yeah, at the that, right time. That would yet. be really annoying. It's like the opposite <laughs> of what people normally do. It's like, 
you know, oh no, no, that take was too clear. It was too good. We could <laughs> we could hear you too good on that one. You have to wait until it's shitty and loud and annoying. So I, I thought that was because that's a pretty unique, you know, Robert Stack in a neighborhood. Yeah, I thought that and, was kind of a know, weird shot too, like just cause seeing him in this kind of uh almost looked like a cul-de-sac yeah, or something like of condos almost. It didn't even mm-hmm. really look like your typical like, you know, suburban houses. It almost looked like, I don't know, duplexes or something like yeah. that. Yeah. And then, you know, you don't even hear the first uh few words he's saying. I'm wondering maybe like he started off quiet a little bit. Like we can't hear you at all, Robert. Like we want to hear some kind of noise. Like some kind of voice. We don't even necessarily have to understand the first part of it. We just need to hear something for this effect that we're doing here. So that Robert has to like speak louder. Yeah, it just sounds like it was a pain in the ass to shoot. Or it could have just been a one take thing. Could have been like, oh, there's a plane. All right, Robert. Do your uh do your thing. Yeah. So anyway, uh, they noticed the car slowly drive past them. A few minutes later, the car passed them again. Now, apparently, they were, like, hanging out in this car, and they were chatting with one another, and uh, it then turned dark. I guess it must have been a really deep and interesting chat. <laughs> it's day, and then all of a sudden, it's night, but okay. Um, but it could have been during that time of the year where, like, it gets dark really early. Like, like now? Re- yeah, like right now. Right? It's like five o'clock, six. You're just like, what the hell? Like, I know, I hate that. So, anyway, uh, things turned for the worse. Two of these African-American men got out of the car, and they went to this nearby apartment complex. And then, while they were doing this whole thing where they're waiting in the car... They showed up later, and they start accosting them at gunpoint. So, uh, the driver holds Lloyd at gunpoint and tells Julie to drop her weapon, but she refuses to do so. Lloyd tried to use the police radio, but he was unable to because the car was not turned on. And so he also had... So, I guess... He was trying to bluff his way. He was trying to be like, oh, you know, I got the radio and everything. But one of the assailants was like smart enough to be like, give me that fucking radio and then took his keys out and then took the shotgun out of his car. And the driver and Lloyd struggled with the driver's weapon. Uh, Meanwhile, Julie drew her weapon, but was disarmed in a struggle with the passenger as she jumped into the back of the car she was shot multiple times with the shotgun. And this whole scene is shot really well. Like They do a really remarkable job shooting uh, the night scenes here with like the right amount of lighting, maybe a little bit of fog, you know, something to just add uh, a, a good amount of atmosphere. The way that they shot the shotgun scenes was also really uh, great because it added a, a menace to the shotguns. Shotguns are menacing anyway, but like the way that they're shot in this scene just makes them nightmarish. Yes. This is classic. I said to Mike before I recorded, these two segments were just like classic unsolved mysteries, and it's uh, unfortunate that they're so hard to come by now. 
I agree. So anyway, uh, they think that they have shot uh, Lloyd, but actually what happened is he missed. He shot him. So in the segment, they, they show that these, these robbers or these assailants like shooting Lloyd like five times at point blank and missing. I don't think that's what happened because it's a shotgun's a close range weapon. I don't know how the hell you miss somebody that close with a shotgun five times. Just like, <laughs> yeah. Unless you're shooting I, blanks. I, I, I don't, I don't really understand <laughs> that either. Like I don't, I don't really get how uh, how he fucked that shot up. Uh, that guy got really fucking lucky. Well, yeah, I mean, not only that, not only the the final shot, but the previous shots apparently just kept missing wildly. And then while he's on the ground, he points the shotgun at his head and apparently misses as well. Uh, he just grazed him. Really, not even really grazed him. He shot the uh asphalt next to his head and lloyd's interviewed and he's justifiably scarred and and uh forever changed by this event because he's talking about what happened and he's like i i knew that i was dead you know that i was dead you know i heard the gun shot over you know over my head you know and i thought and I felt like the burning on my face, so I thought, you know, my face had been blown off. Like, that's just such a horrible thing to think about. Like, your face just blown off. Yeah. And uh, he was lucky, and uh, there was someone looking out for him because didn't even hit him. So, but it stunned him for enough that he was able to mimic the fact that he had been shot. And so the two men like, just fled the scene. Uh, several witnesses saw the suspects flee. After they left, they went to get help. Other agents were unaware of the shooting until it was too late. Tragically, Julie died from her wounds. Even the the uh, other cop or, or Secret Service guy or some other, some other guy who was there at the scene, he was telling Lloyd, like, don't go over here. She's dead. dead. So after they they left, the two they went to get help. The other agents were unaware of the shooting until it was too late. Julie died of her wounds. Police found a pair of eyeglasses near the scene, but had little other evidence. Uh, they believe that the sounds of gunshots were drowned out by the sounds of low-flying jets, just like Robert Stack's voice in the opening uh, narration. They do not believe that Julie's murder was related to the counterfeiting operation that they were investigating. They believe the crime was most likely a robbery gone wrong. However, no suspects have been identified. Now, uh, Lloyd was actually put under hypnosis, and uh, there was a police sketch composite that was drawn of the killers. And apparently... Julie was the first uh, female Secret Service agent to be killed in the line of duty since the agency was established in 1865. Wow. Sadly. Jeez. So, they also interview her friend from the police uh, academy uh, and her time as a police officer. And I thought it was a pretty sweet thing that she does where she has her badge 
and she wears it from time to time as a way to still establish a connection with Julie. For a second there, I had, I had, there was this aura of, uh, they were going to try to blame her partner or something. Uh, yeah. I had this feeling that like, because they, they were saying things like he was the only witness and, yeah. and no one heard the gunshots, you know, but they blamed it on like the airport, this, that, and the other. They put him under hypnosis. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just started thinking to myself like, man, it, it how this, this shit normally goes it seems like whenever we do a case like this is like something goes horribly wrong and they end up blaming you know the the you know uh-huh. the, the, the sole witness or whatever because you know a lot of times that's it's that's who it is but um they never actually went that went there with this so too uh, there must have been too much at the scene that made sense to back up his oh, yeah. story but yeah i thought for like a, a split second they were gonna like accuse the partner of uh of the murder because it was his shotgun so right <laughs> and and he just happened to not be great like hurt at all you know like it, uh-huh. it, it missed it happened to miss his head and it was like this point yeah. point blank range pretty much like yeah but there was residue left behind that supported that <clears throat> so uh this case was actually solved 12 years after the murder, Andre Stephen Alexander was arrested for the 1978 triple murder of a counterfeit printer, the counterfeit printer's girlfriend, and another man in Palms, California. So there was ultimately some counterfeiting relationship with this particular case. I guess so. So Detective Richard Buck Henry recognized Alexander, a former classmate of his, as matching the composite of the passenger in Julie's case. Alexander was convicted in the triple murder and was charged with Julie's murder in 1992. When authorities searched Alexander's parents' home, they found a leather jacket and a knit cap in his closet. The jacket and cap matched what was worn by the passenger. Traces of blood were also found on the jacket. Several witnesses, including his girlfriend at the time and two co-workers, testified that Alexander wore glasses identical to those found at the crime scene. Specifically, his optometrist noted that he had glasses to correct nearsightedness. The glasses at the scene were made for that purpose. So they have a photo of him, and he's got this just beaming smile on his face. He looks like a fucking Little League coach or something. Yeah, and it's just like, you murdered somebody. (laughs) This looks like a smile. You know, I'm gonna smile the biggest smile in the world. I killed somebody. I kill you. You're, <laughs> you're just like what the first, hell? First, first of all, I, I can't believe that uh, the composite actually worked because I always, I don't know. I, I'm probably wrong on this, but I tend to believe that composites just never do any good because it's like, yeah, you know, someone's drawing. It's so vague. Someone's drawing a picture from someone else's memory. And it's, you know, probably not going to look a lot. Anytime I've seen someone get apprehended and then they show the composite, it never really looks like the person that was actually caught. And even as I'm looking at this picture right now, I'm comparing the composite to the actual guy. And it do- it looks nothing like the guy that, that they actually caught. Um, and then the second thing... Why would you keep the jacket with the fucking that you did the crime in, you dumbass? Yeah, exactly. Why would yeah. you, I mean, yeah, okay, it's a leather jacket and those are expensive, but it's you, you dumbass. It's got blood. It's got to have DNA on it, you know, from that. <laughs> what a stupid. I normally don't hear stupid used in that uh, 
that uh, as like a noun way in a sentence as a noun. Yeah, Person. what is stupid? Yeah, well, I just I decided to uh, do it that <laughs> way, and I like how this guy like cares so much about himself that he cares to like get specially made like glasses to correct his vision. Uh-huh. You know, so he can go and 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 go to college and be a scholar scholarly gentleman. No, no, he needs those special glasses so he knows how. To, oh, actually, maybe he wasn't wearing the damn glasses, or they fell off before he went to shoot the guy, and that's why he missed or something. But it's just, I don't know. It's like little details like that. You just it, it kind of humanizes the killer a little bit, and that bothers me because I don't want them to be humanized. You know, I want or that or the or the little leaguer yeah. coach photo. Yeah, looking at this. <laughs> I mean, honestly, this picture it looks like this guy who's like just the friendly neighborhood, you know, math tutor or something. Yeah. So when asked to participate in a live lineup, Alexander refused, becoming angry and belligerent. Lloyd later identified Alexander as the passenger from a photo lineup. A witness testified that Alexander was driving a medium-sized faded brown car with a lighter colored top shortly before the murder. This matched the description of the assailant's vehicle. A girlfriend of Alexander's testified that he had shown up at her house on the night of the murder, covered in blood with a bloody shotgun (laughs) in a bag. Where do you get a bag for a shotgun? And then he says he told her that he had murdered someone near the airport that night. Okay. That's a little incriminating. All of so this was, all of this is so a tad incriminating. So he shows up covered in blood, bloody shotgun in a bag. His girlfriend's like, oh my God, what the hell? What, 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 baby, I killed somebody near the airport tonight, okay? I shot the motherfucker. What are we having for dinner? <laughs> <laughs> she also claimed that Alexander's family pressured her not to testify. A man named Terry Brock was identified by Lloyd as a second suspect in the case. Authorities found several connections between Brock and Alexander. Alexander's girlfriend in 1980 was Brock's sister. Brock had a child with Alexander's sister. Also, the two had been friends and neighbors when they were children. Alexander also had Brock's phone number in his 1991 address book. On the night of the murder, Brock showed up at his girlfriend's house claiming he had to watch the news about a female Secret Service agent that had been murdered near the airport. The girlfriend also claimed that he had a thirty-eight caliber revolver with him two weeks before the murder. After police began reinvestigating the case, Alexander tried to contact Brock. He told witnesses that he wanted to make sure Brock was not talking to the police. However, it is unknown if Brock was ever charged in the case. In 1996, Alexander was convicted of Chewie's murder and sentenced to death. In 2010, Alexander appealed his conviction. However, the court, the state court upheld his conviction of a death sentence. What state did this happen in? Uh, hmm. I thought it was California. Yeah, Los Angeles, California. Yeah, think- Los Angeles, L.A. They don't have the Los death Angeles. penalty in California. Maybe they do now. Or maybe they did it back then. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they did back then. I, they. St- I think it's one of the. I think it's one of those things where, when they have somebody gets convicted of, of to death, sentenced to death, like they can't like retroactively cancel that. I don't know if that's the case huh. or not. So, I mean, it was just. Like, I don't know. Would that be, that'd be, that's like second degree murder? 
Because it wasn't premeditated. It was just kind of in the moment. I guess it's just one of those things, you know, because of the infamy of the case. You know, the first uh, female secret... She's a female secret service agent. You know, she's a secret service agent, period. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is this is technically second degree murder. Second degree murder is generally defined as intentional murder that lacks premeditation, is intended to only cause bodily harm, and demonstrates an extreme indifference to human life. The exact legal definition of this crime will bear, vary by jurisdiction. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, this uh, death sentence for second degree murder that seems a little. I mean, I, I, I don't, I think this guy's a piece of shit and he should never see the light of day, but I don't, I mean, death, death penalty seems a little uh, harsh for this uh, crime. Because, like, I've heard of people who, like, rape, like, a 15-year-old and the mother and then kill both of them and they get the death penalty and that makes perfect sense. I mean, if you're willing to do that, you're just a, a fucking mongrel, but, uh, I mean, this is awful, but I don't know. It's, it seems like a death penalty is a little... I think it's one of those things where it's the reputation of the crime. Yeah, it's got to be it. Because if, if that was just some random person and, and that ha- happened, uh, that that the killer, once apprehended, would not get the fucking death penalty for that. Exactly. They, no. they would spend life in jail, but they would not... <laughs> I mean, you got to do some pretty heinous shit to get the death penalty. And this was bad, but this wasn't like raping a family and then killing them bad it i hate how on this podcast you're sometimes tasked with rating how bad horrific things are (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) but here i am (laughs) so the next case is the sons of jim fonts and i think this is from like season two or season three and this actually has a happy ending folks so it's not the all murder, all uh, rape, all uh, missing persons podcast. <laughs> Robbie and Christopher Fonts are the sons of police officer James Jim Fonts and Kathy Durkin. Jim and Kathy met in high school. Two years later, they ran off and got married in Tijuana. Two years after that, how romantic! They were remarried uh, in a Catholic church. Five years later, in 1978, Robbie was born. In 1979, Christopher was born. December of 1980, Jim and Kathy divorced, but agreed to joint custody of their sons. See, I don't get the whole, like, remarry thing, especially two years after you got married. Well, okay, so they went and got hitched. They were young and in love, and then they got hitched. And then two years into the marriage, it's like, okay, you know, we should probably do, like, a proper ceremony that all our family can actually attend and not have to go to Tijuana, Mexico. But, But two years... I don't know. Maybe they needed to save save money up for it or something. I mean, oh, okay. I get it. I get it now. That makes more sense. But in the beginning of all this, um, Jim Fonts, you know, they're interviewing him and all, and and he seems like him and his uh, you know ex wife had this really like loving. He kind of made it seem like you know like they were young and in love, and they got hitched, and yeah. then they had these kids, and then like just casually, like Robert Stack's like. And then they divorced. And it's like, wait, whoa, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I thought they were all so happy with their two kids and all. And then all of a sudden they're getting divorced. Okay. Like, I kind of wish yeah. they expounded on that a little bit more. But anyway, they agreed to joint custody of their sons. Six months later, on June 23rd, 1981, Jim brought the boys to Kathy's apartment in Oakland, California. 
For the first time, Jim had vacationed with them for a whole week. Now it was their mother's turn. Kathy told Jim that she had a busy week planned for the boys and that he should not be alarmed if they weren't in when he called. Again, I can't help but to think in modern day time, this might be a non-issue with cell phones and all that. It would be a lot harder to just skip out on someone like that. Back in the landline days, it would be easy to be like, hey, uh, just to let you guys know, I'm going to be out all day, so if you call, you're not going to get an answer. Just leave a message on my machine. I'll call you back, blah, blah, blah. And I could just go fucking missing, and no one would be the wiser of it until, I don't know, the time I was supposed to be back, days later, when my body's already rotting in a ditch. That was uh, graphic anyway. um, So, yeah. Uh, during the week, his calls went unanswered. However, he was not concerned because, you know, he had been warned about that. So it was like, oh, okay, whatever. So on the morning he was supposed to pick up the boys, Jim woke up to a call from his former mother-in-law. She said she had gotten a tape recording in the mail from Kathy and her new husband, James Terry Durkin. Durkin! On the audio cassette, Kathy confessed that she and Terry had abducted the boys and fled the area. This was insane. Yeah. Like, can you imagine that? Like, okay, you had this relationship with this woman that you fell in love with, you thought was special, and that this was a long-lasting relationship. You had two kids together. Things ultimately don't work out and you get divorced okay sometimes that happens it's still tragic and sad because you thought that you were meant for one another it's heartbreaking and then on top of that then she goes in and takes your kids (laughs) and leaves you a tape recorder tape recorded a message basically saying gotta go bye yeah she's just saying oh you know uh i i uh me and uh, Terry, we're 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 uh, leaving. We're moving out, and I'm taking the kids with me. There's nothing you could do about it. They're my kids. I gave birth to the boys. You know that whole thing. You're just like, I breastfed the boys. I'm gonna do what I want with the boys. Terry, You're just like what a you know. Terry has a lot. What a bitch. <laughs> Terry has a lot cooler last name than you do. Uh, you know, I just want to be a Durkin. I feel like a Durkin is what I identify with m- the most. You know, fonts. Who wants... That's 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 French. I don't, I don't want to be no Frenchy croissant eating, you know, <laughs> whatever. I want to be a Durkin. Sounds like du- Who? Duncan Durkin. Like, <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a um, mentally disabled turkey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want that one over there. That's a Durkin. <laughs> oh my god that that is a durkin it is deeply inbred it will not taste good you you want these oh, like a turducken yeah <laughs> you know what you know oh, why man. i know i'm not ready to be a dad and why i will never be probably ever be a dad is is the, the first thing i thought of when i heard that recording if i was jim would be well guess you're not gonna want that child support anymore bitch <laughs> <laughs> you don't want me to find you well you, my money won't be finding you either motherfucker <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not ready to be a dad anytime soon um and for those of you with the last name durkin or something similar to it we're just playing around well no uh, you know if your last name is durkin i'm sure you've grown a sense of humor to it by now because there's no way that we're the first ones to tease you about a last name like that 
However, if your last name is Durkin, please join our Facebook group, and uh, we'd like to meet you. It's uh, go to Facebook.com and search Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries and go to the group section. I would love to to hear from some Durkins out there. Uh, I'm sure that's like German in origin. It's very gu- yeah, guttural sounding. Uh, but anyway, um, on the instead of a text message, like nowadays, it wouldn't be an audio recording. Would it just be a text or like a Snapchat? Like a, just a snap. <laughs> uh, so Jim was in disbelief uh, d- disbelief about all of this. Uh, so he went to Kathy's apartment, but he found nothing to indicate where she and Terry had taken the boys. On August 14th, 1981, the Oakland police issued warrants for the arrest of Kathy and Terry. One month later, on September 23rd, paramedics were called to a home in Urbandale, Iowa, 2,000 miles away. A woman named, quote, Kathy Roberts was in labor, having trouble with home birth. When paramedics entered, they noticed that there was almost no furniture in the home. Hey, what's wrong with that? I have almost no furniture in my home, elitist assholes. Anyway, sorry, I got a little triggered by that. They went to the bathroom and helped Kathy deliver her baby. They noticed... They have three kids, though. You know? So? Maybe they can't afford things. Yeah, I guess. Classist! You could go to a thrift store. You could go to Goodwill and get stuff cheap. I mean, it's... Yeah, I don't know. I I, I just (laughs) said they went to the bathroom to help Kathy deliver the baby. I meant to say bedroom. (laughs) They weren't... She was was not on the the jaw and trying to squeeze one out. You know, she was laying in bed. That's actually something that happens quite a lot. I've heard. I've heard. Apparently. Yeah. you, You fucking shit your baby out in the commode. And I've heard things like, you know, this whole, there's like a whole show on TLC, like, uh, like something about like, they were surprised that they were pregnant or something. I didn't know I was pregnant or whatever. And so the, yeah, there were, there were cases of women that were like, they did not know. Like one's like, I just thought they were constipated or thought, you know, they, you know, and it's just one of those things. It's like, how do you not know? Like, I'm pretty sure, you know, the gals, if you know, who are listening, like, you're probably like, how do you not know you're pregnant? Right. Yeah. I'm going to ask you, like, like how, how does that happen? How could you actually not know? I'm pretty sure all the rappers who have face tattoos were all babies that were born in that method of being, like, shit into the <laughs> toilet. Ooh. Oh, dang. I mean, Post Malone was probably one of the biggest one of those examples, for sure. He performed at that stupid Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve crap, and his face is just so, like, destroyed at this point with all of his face tattoos. He looks fucking ridiculous. Like, uh, like, what are you doing, man? Like, they don't even look good. They look like he let... Your fucking face looks like when you fall asleep at someone's party. Yeah. And everyone just draws all over you, like, dicks yeah. and, like, you know, shit, you know, <laughs> shit in, like, Sharpie and all that. Like, uh-huh. it doesn't look good. Like... Maybe, like, one or two, like, small, tasteful ones here and there, but good lord, man, like, this guy is just barbed wire on his forehead. All these crazy face tattoos, but with some of these rappers, makes uh, Mike Tyson's, you know, tattoo look positively amazing in comparison. Yeah, like, the newest one that he's got on his face, on his sideburn area, is this stupid, uh, like, uh like a suit of armor glove with this mace and the chain is going down by his chin. It's it's his face is literally like just 
uh, looks like garbage now. It looks so awful. Like his face looks like a a wall that that too many people have sprayed graffiti on, and it's just like uh, this mix. Apparently now uh, this is the dissing uh, mumble rapper. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> what this has devolved into. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, back to the story here. I'm sorry. I'm literally just looking at his face tattoos right now. He. <laughs> he just got a new one, if you haven't seen it. Look it up. It looks even more... Anyway, you know, live your life, dude. Uh, <laughs> after I just judge the fuck out of you, live your life. You know, namaste. Um, so, uh, blah, 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 blah. When paramedics entered, they noticed there was almost no furniture. They went to the bath or bedroom, helped Kathy give birth. They noticed the, that the parents did not seem very excited about the birth. Well, I can relate to that. Even though Kathy had lost blood and was exhibiting a weak pulse, she was extremely reluctant to go to the hospital. However, paramedics convinced her that it was necessary. During the trip to the hospital, she was deliberately evasive about her personal and medical history. Her behavior was suspicious, so one of the paramedics went to the police. And they do ask you your fucking life story when you're in the back of those ambulances, man. Like, they they just are so, like, just questiony about everything, and... I don't remember the people in the ambulance asking me that many questions. Were you a minor? The doctor. Uh, no. You weren't a minor when you got hit? No. Oh. oh, that's weird. They asked me a shit ton of questions when I had that food poisoning. Like, good lord. Interesting. Investigators. But they. Go ahead. <laughs> but they didn't ask me a whole lot. Like, it was just uh, probably because I was talking so much. Like, I don't want to die. I don't want to yeah. die. You're fine. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Shut up. <laughs> Investigators found that quote-unquote Roberts had no background. They decided to put the family under surveillance. Investigators followed the couple everywhere, even to the grocery store. They noticed that Kathy always paid in cash with large bills. When they interviewed people that interacted with the couple, each witness noted that the couple acted suspiciously. Investigators thought it was strange that their attire indicated that they were poor, but they always paid with large bills. They were convinced that the man was a fugitive. The Urbandale police obtained a warrant to search the Roberts trash. They found an envelope with Kathy Font with the ES cut off because it's spelled F-O-N-T-E-S. And an Oakland address was written on it. When they contacted the police in Oakland, Urbandale investigators finally learned that Kathy and Terry Roberts were actually Kathy and Terry Durkin. On October 23rd, 1981, Terry was arrested. Kathy remained free on her own recognizance so that she could take care of her one-month-old baby. Christopher and Robbie became wards of the state of Iowa. The Almadia County DA, Robert Hutchins, contacted Jim Fonts and told him about the arrest and discovery of his sons. He urged Jim to get to Iowa as soon as possible. Jim was in Oregon at the time. He immediately bought tickets to Iowa. However, this trip had two layovers and was expected to take nine hours. From Iowa to Oregon? Jesus Christ. Well, yeah, because it was layovers. Must have been some wicked layovers. Yeah. Meanwhile, Hutchins contacted a Des Moines social worker. He feared the courts in Iowa would give the boys back to the Durkins. He begged the social worker not to let the boys go back to the Durkins. She told him that the decision had already been made. The boys were going back to their abductors. And that was insane. Because there were people, there were uh, DAs. Uh, outside of Iowa, that had plenty of evidence to to should the, to prove that you know they are using an alias, you know they abducted the kids, but you know the, the social workers in Iowa are just like nope, 
decision has been made. They're going back to their parents. You know, it's like, they're not really their... (laughs) They stole the kids in the first place. One of them's a fugitive from the law. (laughs) Yeah, but but it's... Who just got arrested. But it's the woman, though, Mike. And uh, in these situations, the woman always gets the preferential treatment. Even if she's a... Are you uh, sure? Even if she's a fugitive, apparently. Are you sure? Uh, no, I'm just making blanket statements. That's what I do best. Um, yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get a lot of good reviews for this. Yeah, I finally like uh come to the because <laughs> we we're back uh to uh I think we're back to like three point seven five stars on iTunes. Uh-huh. I've come to the conclusion that I just don't give a shit anymore. <laughs> we have listeners, we have fans, we love them, and that's all I care. Most I, of the most of the longtime you know people who have listened to us like they. They know we don't mean well. It's ill will or anything. Well, yeah, I mean just, they you know. probably identify with us on some level because they have the same <laughs> sick fucking way of thinking that we do. Um, and those are the people that I want to attract. I don't really ca- like <laughs> casual audiences. I, I just don't care anymore. I just it's like an uphill battle. The people like new listeners, they're either gonna get it and love it, or they're gonna fucking hate it. And that's just the conclusion I've come to yeah. about our podcast. So I just don't even. I'm just not even going to try mm-hmm. anymore. If you can leave us a, a, a five-star or four-star review on iTunes, that's great. But if not, I'm just not going to s- solicit it anymore because, gotcha. you know, we're at where we're at. So anyway. So uh, Jim is interviewed, and it's a heartbreaking interview where he's talking about how... And he brought up a good point. It's like, you know, they don't give... a rob When a robber robs a bank, the police don't give him the money back that that he stole yeah yeah and i mean this has got to be like doubly insulting since um because he's a police yeah he's a police officer (laughs) so it's like what the fuck so when jim got to each airport he made several phone calls to hutchins meanwhile hutchins contacted a da in urbandale telling him that Jim had a court order and urging him to put the boys in protective custody. How- yeah, he had a court order. <laughs> However, his pleas fell on deaf ears. When Jim arrived in Iowa, he learned that the Durkins had taken the boys and vanished again. Jim has been searching for his sons for nine fucking years. He fears that they may not even remember him due to the passage of time, which is fucking heartbreaking. Yeah, it's really sad. All right, Mike, hit us with the update. So there is an update. Uh, It was actually solved. Within minutes of the broadcast, dozens of viewers in Albuquerque, New Mexico, called the telecenter to say that they recognized Kathy and Terry Durkin. The couple had been living on the outskirts of Albuquerque in a trailer home. Shortly before midnight that night, FBI agents apprehended the Durkins without incident. They were arrested on charges of unlawful flight to avoid prosecution for parental kidnapping. They were later released on $5,000 bail. Christopher and Robbie were located safe, and Jim and his wife immediately went to Albuquerque and was reunited with his sons after nine years. The boys returned with Jim to Dublin, California. They reacquainted and began to heal the pain brought by nine years of separation. So there actually was an update that I saw that actually showed, you know, some footage of him with his sons. It was great. Shows footage of him talking to the camera while he's, you know heading to the airport you know he's gonna head to there he's getting ready to head to the airport to go see them about how it's like the best thing you know it's one of the you know it's it's so so wonderful and you could see the tears welling up in his eyes 
And then he actually talks to the audience and he's all like, you know, thank you so much. And, you know, if you could just see the boys now, like, you'd just be so happy. I wonder what kind of life these kids had for nine years and then being forced to, like, uproot and live with a parent that you haven't seen since you were a little. I mean, that's got to be so rough, man. Like, just the The kids look pretty happy, though. Like, they were shooting baskets with dad. You know, they're riding the bikes together. You know, it seemed like things were better Those, like he was even talking about how things you know you know things have been really good for the boys yeah there's no way that that uh kathy and terry were good parents to those kids because they were fugitives and they were probably on edge all the time and you know po- probably i worry about the 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 younger kid oh yeah michael he's still in you know their custody well, I mean, it said that they were released on bail, but that doesn't mean that they are free. I mean, they they got released on bail, yeah. but that, you know, they're going to get charged oh, yeah. with something, you know. I'm wondering what happened to the to, you know, to Michael. Like, I wonder if he was, you know, taken away from them or not. Ended up in, you know, foster care or something. Yeah, what was this back in... Oh, wow. 90s. 1991, the, 1990. Robert was born in 78. Christopher was born in 79. So they'd be like four in their 40s, like early 40s now. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, man. This show's so fucking old. No, <laughs> no. Fuck. And then their younger brother will probably be 38 or something. 37. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. All right. So there's at least a happy ending to this one. Uh, there, there was a reunion. That's That's one thing that unsolved mysteries not being on the air it's this is one thing that definitely is missing you know all these true crime shows you know solving murders or talking about missing persons or these sort of things or already talking about cases that are already solved but you know you can call them schmaltzy you can call them sugary sweet the whole lost loves thing but that fit a certain category. It fit a certain parameter that real there really isn't anything on air on TV to really uh, replace it. And I get Facebook and everything, but sometimes that you're not able to figure it out through Facebook either. So, um, there is something to be said about, you know, reunions like this. Yeah. For sure. All right, guys. I think that's all the time we have for the broadcast. Uh, the prod. The broadcast. <laughs> I'm gonna prod in your ears and prod your butts when you're not looking. Or the broadcast. Oh, broadcast. That'd be cool. I could talk about. <laughs> I could talk about Rush Genesis. Again, yes. I can talk about that all day. But alas, I don't have the time. Anyway, if you want to join our Facebook group, you should. All the cool kids are doing it. Go to Facebook, uh, go to the group section, and type in Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries. We're going to ask you uh, a question. We're going to ask you, are you joining this group because you actually listen to the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast? You'd be amazed the amount of people who say no. So much so that I had to add a second question. If you said no, then why the fuck do you want to join this group, you dumbass? And uh, the answers just vary from, oh, I love this kind of stuff, or, oh, I love mysteries. If somebody puts, I love mysteries, I'll still add them, because who doesn't love mysteries? And we can always use more mystery lovers. 
But if you're putting shit like, uh, I don't know, uh, 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 well, I'm not, you're not going to get let in. You might be some kind of op for, uh, the, I don't know, John and Terry, even though we're not doing anything illegal anymore, so I guess it doesn't matter. But um, any hoozles, uh, join that group. And if you want to follow me and Mike, but separately, but entertainingly, you can uh, subscribe to our individual YouTube channels. Mike's YouTube channel is youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does the movie stuffs. Uh, what was the last thing you talked? Well, Hustler, that was the last one, right? Yeah, Hustler. Yeah, and you already yeah. talked about that at the beginning of the podcast, so we uh-huh. won't go through that again, but uh, go and check out his channel. My channel is youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts. And I do a bunch of music related videos, video game related videos, vlogs. All kinds of fun shit on there. My last video I did was still, can't believe the third week in a row, uh, do antidepressants make you feel like a zombie? And I kind of go into that. But I have a new video in the works. And it is uh, going to, it's tentatively called uh, Bands with Two Lead Singers. I'm going to be exploring uh, a lot of bands that have two lead singers, not just one oh. vocal. That So not the not the whole thing where like, You've had one lead singer, and then they leave, nope. and then someone else it's comes in. It's bands like Blink-182, it's bands like Pink Floyd, bands like Super Tramp, okay. where you have two totally unique vocal sticks. Uh, yeah, I thought about doing sticks, um, but then I remembered that um, Dennis, not Dennis DeYoung, um, uh, KP or KR, whatever, the guitar player... Uh-huh. He actually sings, too, uh, a lot in the band. I specifically was trying to stick with bands that have only two singers. Oh, okay, just two, not... not yeah, yeah, I, I get because you. then once you go over that, then you're like, okay, well, then you got Toto, and you got, like, Fleetwood Mac, <laughs> and you got the Beatles, and it just kind of turns into this, like, wide-open thing. So I was like, I'm just going to focus on bands that only have right. two lead singers and uh, the, the, the interesting dynamic of that and how, you know, some bands... Uh, use the second lead singer to just create these beautiful, intricate harmonies like Alice in Chains, and then other bands like Blink-182 just have uh, songs that have totally unique feels to it. If Mark sings on a song, it's going to have a different feel than when Tom sings on a song, and I just really have always loved dynamics of bands with two lead singers, so that'll hopefully be out sometime uh, this week. But, uh, all right, until next time, have a good rest of your night. Goodbye. See ya. I don't know, like, I'm at this party and there are just, there was, I took a picture of it and put it on my Facebook. There was literally a woman there with that that exact same haircut of the meme <laughs> of Kate Gosselin <laughs> with the, I want to speak, uh, women with yeah. this haircut want to speak to your manager. Like, uh-huh. there was literally a woman there with the, the exact same haircut and she was dressed as you would expect a woman like that to dress and it was just, it was funny and like, the host, uh, her name was, uh, I guess I shouldn't say her name. The host, uh, she was super cool. Um, anytime you go to these things, though, uh, the 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 coolness only extends so far until you do something they don't like. Not to say you did something wrong, but like you played a song they didn't like or, uh, you know, whatever. That's usually the case with me since I'm the DJ. They, with with rich people... It's real quick that they snap from friendly to you are the hired help.
in their tone of voice. <laughs> wow. Like at some point she literally, I, I'm I, cause I don't, she didn't give me a list of what to play. She didn't give me any indicators of, of what kind of music I should be playing at this event. So I'm like throwing all kinds of stuff in the mix, just seeing what sticks, seeing what makes people dance. And then I throw on Van Halen unchained. Uh, and she literally like like scampers over to my DJ table. She said, "No, no, no, change it. I hate this song. I hate this song." And I'm just like <laughs> taken aback. I'm like, "Whoa!" Like, yes, yes, a master. You know, like I, yeah, I just just a, just a whole thing. We're just like, yeah. So at first she's like, "Oh, hey, Josh, blah 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 blah," and acted super nice. I'm like, "Oh, she's cool." And then there's always that point in a night where they where they turn, and it's like, okay. Oh. Van Halen. Oh, yeah, I know. How dare you? But you know the funny thing is? You know what music they did want me to play all fucking night? Is pretty much hardcore hip-hop and rap. <laughs> now, it, so they're like the, the rich people in that... I'm trying to think of the movie. Was I, I'm trying to think of what film it is. It's like a comedy from the 2000s. I think it might be Head of State. I think it's Head of... I think it's... Uh, it's that one that uh, Chris Rock was in, where I, he I became know. like a presidential candidate or whatever. Yeah, it's that one. And there's other ones too, where you know the the rich white uh, party gets uh, all urban and you know dancing to the hip hop. That's that's what yeah. that's the image that came into my mind. <laughs> Yeah, now the funny thing, the thing that like irks me about this because this isn't just this isn't the first time that this has happened where I go to this stuffy rich white kind of space and they want me to play like th- just like hardcore hip hop. What bothers me about it is the fact and we're going to get to the unsolved mystery soon folks, I promise. What bothers me about it is hip hop came out of kind of Poverty and struggle and uh, activism, uh, all all very real kind of things. And I, I kind of view hip hop like I view the blues or kind of these musics that come from a lot of its poetry. They, they come out from like oppression, and they mm-hmm. they it's ve- like at least when it started off, it was this very real, authentic thing. Although one of the first rap songs wasn't necessarily. You know about dark series. Oh, are you talking about you know, uh, Rapper's Delight? Yeah, yeah. Well, then you had uh, the the was it the message by Grandmaster Flash? Yeah, like it's like a jungle out there. Keep makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Like that was a very yeah. like real that one was. But I mean, but, I'm just saying. Anyway, like, my point know, is, is it, I get what you mean. It just irks me when these people. And again, I know it's going to come off as like classist and probably ignorant on my end, but I'm just this is my fucking opinion, folks. You don't have to agree with it. This is just how I feel in my gut, and it's probably wrong. But it just bothers me to see people who probably have been privileged for most of their life, or are at least now at a place of privilege and uh, opulence. To be listening to this music that really is not really for them, and I think they can listen to it. I, I think it's one of those things where do they actually understand? Do they actually appreciate the storytelling or the overall uh, premise or concept of the album or the song? Uh, that's that's where I'm at. Yeah, you know, if they don't actually appreciate that and they just like it because it's you know they're like the beat 
it's a little it, it's it's weird yeah, it's because a little short-sighted it's, it's, to say the least it's weird because it's like you know rap nowadays is just basically talking about how much money they have and how yeah. how you know wealthy they are and all their cars so it's almost like if you think about it it's kind of the perfect music for rich people now but I don't know. It's just it didn't start Listen out to the straight out of Compton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like... I don't know, man. It's just it's weird to me because it's because like it, also at the same time it's like again I'm probably steer- I think a part of it's rebellion as well. Yeah, with these like rich, the, it's these like rich, I don't want to uh, I don't want to feel like this rich stuffy old housewife. You know, I want to break out and let loose and say fuck it. But then tomorrow have my my people come and clean the house and you know how my carpet guy so when a blair fuck the police by the nwa <laughs> yeah it's just weird kind of like like dual kind of thing there and and uh yeah it's it's uh i don't know it's it's just funny to me to to think about i see i see what you mean like um i don't know i had another point that i was gonna make about it but uh I don't know. It's 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 hard to it's hard to say really because you know, I guess like it's hard to break the stereotype of of that nineteen eighties rich person like yeah. like like the Patrick Bateman type rich uh-huh. person that like all they want to listen to is like yacht rock and you know this this what is seen as like upper crust like you know more yep. classier music and it's like just because you have money doesn't mean you're gonna want to listen to that shit you know or you're just gonna want to listen to classical music yeah exactly like yeah, mozart or whatever yeah i mean so i mean it, it is silly but at the same time there's just something that irks me about a bunch of rich white people wanting to hear this down and dirty hip-hop especially and again i'm stereotyping again these are the same people that like you know out on the street they would stay 10 miles away from like you know your average poor person oh they get- wouldn't be caught dead in harlem no or any, it's any like place oh like it's like no or compton that's the <laughs> that's the bad part of town stay away from but i do like your people's music though your music's great just you stay away from me as a person i don't want yeah. you to be near me but i do love your music I don't know. There's just something about that that makes me feel dirty anytime I, <laughs> I I'm faced with that. But yeah, that was my New Year's. There. What well, do you feel like a a whore for for the rich crowd? You I don't know. Fe- no, a music whore. I don't. <laughs> I, I I feel like uh I feel like I'm I'm taking their money, and so that makes me happy because it's like you know I, I'm uh-huh. I'm one of the not rich people, so I feel like I'm. I'm gonna take. Well, the, I'm gonna pay. I guess did they pay you well for that? Oh yeah, I got least? got paid great. I'm gonna take their money and I'm gonna go to a shitty part of town and spend that money and and put the money in that neighborhood because because that's where I like to hang out is the crappy parts of town. Yeah. I, I don't hang out at uh, the South Side or the beach or anything like uh-huh. that. I fucking hate that pretentious ass shit. But um, <laughs> yeah, so that was my New Year's. 